through just realtors. So I want to introduce Dave Moano. He's a very dynamic speaker. He consulted locally, and he's going to give us about an hour and a half um, sales training program. So welcome, Dave. Thank you. Hello, how you guys doing? All right, um, I'm gonna definitely need you guys to be a little bit more interactive than that. I know some of you guys are chewing. So let's try that again one more time. How you guys doing? So I, I, when we were planning this, um, I didn't know that there was gonna be a dance floor and something else that I do on the side is dance. Um, so we might, have, we might have to see what you guys got. You know what I mean? We might have to see your little dance move if you got a little running man or, um, yeah, we're gonna have to check that out. Well, my name is Deo, Deo Moano. I am based uh, in Manchester. Um, I've been living in Manchester for the last 20 years, so I consider myself a, a Manchester, New Hampshire person. But I'm actually originally from the Congo, uh, the heart of Africa. So. My goal today is to, to have a very, very engaging, interactive uh, workshop, training, session, whatever you want to call it. And I'm going to need you guys to, uh, to participate. So if you thought that this presentation was going to be something that you just come, eat some food, say hi to certain people, you know, not have to really think, uh, sorry, um, this, this presentation will require you to engage with each other. And in order for this to be meaningful, um, it's going to be important for you to really, you know, open up and be able to, to connect. So that's why I don't have slides. Um, I usually have slides, but I just, I read something recently that said that half of the time people are either trying to remember what you're saying or they're trying to see what your slide is about. So I was like, perfect. This gives me an excuse to not have a slide today. I did want to show a video, but maybe I might be able to show a video at the end. So when I met with Kurt... Um, I've known Kurt for a good amount of time now, and I do presentations all over. I work with uh, businesses, not non for profit schools, uh, K-12, uh, universities, or organizations that are trying to launch something, and they're like, hey, we really care about, you know, how are people going to connect to this? So when I met with Kurt, he sees some of the stuff that I do through social media. He's like, man, it'd be great to partner with you and, and put, work with you and get something in place. And I was like, yeah, man, in, my, in the back of my head, I'm like, yeah, maybe like six months, you know, eight months from now. He was like, actually, February, you know, we got this slot. Would you think about doing something? I'm like, like this February coming up? He's like, yeah. I'm like, all right, let's make it happen. Anyway, so I'm super pumped to be here. Um, part of this presentation is about what does it look like to build authentic relationships in order to have authentic referrals? So relationship is like, it's like a central point for me. Everything I do is, is, is based on relationships. Actually, even my own personal life, I probably wouldn't be alive if it, if it wasn't for an authentic relationship my family had that helped us actually to get out of the Congo and get here. So part of my presentation, in order for you guys to get to know me, right? Because if this is a relationship workshop, you know, I know everybody cares, maybe cares about the other aspect of, you know, that, the referral side. How can I do a better job getting referrals? Sometimes you think of your referrals at dollar signs, but we'll get to that. But in order for you guys to get to know me, I, I think it's probably appropriate for me to let you guys know a little bit of who I am and um, how did I end up here? 
So I grew up in the Congo. The Congo is in the heart of Africa. And I grew up in a middle class family. A lot of times when people think of Africa, they just think of like what you see in National Geographic, right? Some naked kids running around, elephant, uh, lion. Unfortunately, that was not my experience. So I know a lot of you guys are looking at me like, oh, he's from Africa. Oh, he's from Africa. That, that wasn't me, okay? I didn't see an elef elephant until I went to the zoo in America. So I just want to make sure, you know, we got a level set here. I just want to make sure we're level setting, okay? Because the whole entire time I'm talking, you might think of the, oh, he was naked running around near elephants. So that's, that's not the case. My father worked for the Congolese government, and he devoted his whole entire life um, committed to the development of Congo. If you don't know anything about Congo, Congo is in the heart of Africa. It's the second largest country in Africa. It's the size of Western Europe. So that's a massive country. And you are most likely connected to Congo and you don't even know. How are you connected to Congo? Well, the technology that we use today, about 85% of the world's coltan. Coltan is a raw mineral. And um, that mineral goes into computer chips, PlayStations that your children play with. Um, maybe some of you guys play PlayStation. LCD screens. 85% of the world's coltan comes from the Congo. And there's other natural resources in the Congo. So in result of that, um, there's always been some turmoil there. So in 1996, there was a huge civil war that broke out. And during this civil war, my father's side of family and my, and my mom was telling my dad, hey, you know, like, you should leave the country. And my father was stubborn. He was like, no, I'm committed to the Congolese people. Everything is going to work out. So what usually happens in a dictatorship government, there's, there's, there's not an, elect, an, an election that happens. There's no caucuses. There's no primary. Usually it's a coup. Either there's a rebellion group that's fighting in order to take over the government. So what ended up happening in 97 was a rebel group ended up taking power. And when that happened, we thought that, you know what? This is perfect. This is time for us to leave. And again, my father was stubborn. When the new government arrived, they asked for all the ex-government officials to come back and rebuild the country. Meanwhile, it was a trick. And the trick was anytime they felt paranoid, they will start executing ex-government official. And unfortunately, my father ended up being a victim of that. My mother was 23 years old with four children. And my father's side of family gave my mom an ultimatum. They said, Bernadette, you are young. Our, our brother is no longer here. Give us the children and go restart your life. And my mom said, heck no, I'm not going to give up my children. And my father's side of family, they said, all right, sorry, but we have to wash our hands. They were afraid if they continued to affiliate with us, that if the government decided to come back and finish by executing all of us, that, they would, that would happen to them too. So I went from living a middle class life, not having to worry about anything, to losing everything. The relationships that we developed, my father was a very resourceful person. When he was alive, every, almost every other day when I wake up, there'd just be a ton of people in my house. Why? Because people, people trusted him and people relied on him. But when we needed them, they were nowhere to be found. 
Even my father's own, even my own family, my father's side of family, where you would think that at moments like that, that's when you need that relationship to be alive and that relationship to come alongside you. But that didn't happen. A friend decided to allow us to move in with him. We lost everything, all of our money, everything we had. We lived in a small little area, probably where I'm standing to where the edge of the thing is. A six inch mattress and a little mosquito net. And then the roof above us was a tin roof. It had holes on it. So when it would rain, the rain would fall on us. That became our reality. But my mother had hope. She believed that there was a better plan and path for our family. She started to advocate for us. She started to tell our story. And when she started to tell our story, a gentleman by the name of Chris Ben, who was working for an NGO in the Congo, said, man, this lady's story is so crazy. I got to find a way to help, to help her, help her and her children. This is a gentleman we didn't even know. This is a gentleman that met my mom when my mom was knocking on doors to different groups and telling them what happened to my father. And he felt compelled enough that he needed to do something. This gentleman became our advocate. He would go to different NGOs that were in the Congo and he would tell them about my family's story. And he would say, we need to help this lady and her children. The unfortunate part was, when people found out that my father was connected to the ex-government, they said, we're sorry. We don't, know how, we don't know how we're gonna get this family out. It's impossible. We can't get them out. So one of the options we had was uh, a local charity in Belgium said, we are willing to adopt the children, but we can't take the mother. And that was the best alternative. So let me just rewind real quick. So this, this gentleman who found our story crazy and decided to come alongside my mom and try to advocate for us and try to get us out, form a relationship with us. And as he's going out and my mom trying to advocate for how to get us out, they get the best solution. And that solution was, an organization in Belgium is willing to adopt four of the children and then my mom can just resettle somewhere. And that was the best, that was the best alternative we had. I remember my mom telling me this and I actually thought my mom went crazy because I was like, how the heck are we gonna get out of the Congo? This, this, is, this is stupid, this is the stupidest thing I ever heard. But she was convinced. She was convinced she was not playing around. She said, hey, in the next couple of months, this is going to happen. I just got to, you guys got to prep for this. So a couple of weeks before the trip happens, in the Congo, there was a lot of Rwandan people and Burundian people. So Rwanda is right next door to Congo. If any of you guys are familiar with the movie Hotel Rwanda, the genocide that happened there, a lot of the Rwandan people moved to the Congo. And what was happening was the Congolese people were killing thousands of Rwandan people. So the US government and other NGOs felt like they needed to find a way to help those Rwandan people. So the folks that were helping us thought, ooh, this might be a way to get you guys out without separating you guys. My mother was half Burundian, so they said, hey, we think we have, we have, we have an opportunity here. We will declare you guys as refugees. We'll use your mother's 
Burundians' background in order to get you guys out of the country. But at any time something comes up where the government stops you guys, there's nothing we can do about it. And my mother thought that was a better alternative than us being adopted by an organization in Belgium. But she was also willing to risk everything for this opportunity for us to stay together as a family. So to make a long story short, my family ended up leaving the Democratic Republic of Congo in 1998, and we moved to a refugee camp in Benin. And I can remember when the plane took off. First, you heard the propel going off. And it was such a surreal experience for me. Even getting to the airport, and then sitting in your chair, and then the propel going, and then the airplane moving slowly, 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 and then the, the airplane getting in the air. We landed in Benin, in Western Africa, where this refugee camp was located. And my mother looked at us and she said, regardless of what happens to us in the future, at least we're safe. At least we don't have to worry about anybody ha having to execute us. And we ended up leaving in a refugee camp for two years. And then in February of 2000, a miracle happened. My family and I, we got selected to move to America, move to the coldest place on earth, Manchester, New Hampshire in February. Mind you, in Congo, the equator goes across. It's very tropical. And then we show up in Manchester, New Hampshire. It was a miracle. My story, I'm an anomaly, guys. Since 1996, there's been over 6 million deaths in the Congo alone. Since 1996. But the relationship of people that came alongside us, that believed that there was going to be a better life for us, that's what set the foundation of my family to be able to get out of the Congo and live in a refugee camp and then go from a refugee camp and move to America. And my family and I, we only spent two years in a refugee camp. Today, the average amount of time people spend in a refugee camp is anywhere between 17 to 20 years. And less than 1% of those folks will ever get a chance to resettle to a Western country. So my story, I, I'm, I'm an anomaly. But the foundation of what was what allowed us to get out of this crazy situation we were in? First, it was my mom's courage, her heart that she never gave up. Second was the relationship we were able to develop by random people that we trusted in order to say, hey, this is a crazy idea. Well, I didn't trust it, my mom did. <laughs> this is a crazy idea. This is like, it makes no sense. How is that even possible? But she trusted them. And they trusted us. And that's what set the foundation of my family, getting out of Congo and moving to America. So I, I, couldn't, start, I couldn't start this presentation without me kind of giving you a little, a, a little foundation of why relationship is so important and why relationship is so important to me. And even when we moved to New Hampshire, we didn't know anybody in New Hampshire. 
We're starting from scratch. All we had was freedom and opportunity for a better life. That's it. But the relationships that we were able to develop, those people are the ones that came alongside us, that looked nothing like us, didn't even speak the language we spoke. But they were able to allow us to believe in ourselves. And that completely changed our trajectory. So I promised that I was going to make sure that you guys are, um, you get to engage with one another. I know I tell my story and you're like, oh my gosh, that's a crazy story. What a way for him to start. I don't want you to think about me. Think about yourself. Think about where you are. Think about relationships that you have. So my first question to you guys is, when was the last time you felt like you accomplished something? That's my first question to you guys as a group. And you're, and, and you're answering it not based on like what you think the right answer is, what's going to sound important. No, you're answering it based on like yourself, like what you think. And, there, and it doesn't have to be like something crazy, as long as it's meaningful to you. So we're going to do, do a little group discussion, okay? I promise you, you guys are going to interact with each other. So that's the first question. The first question is, when was the last time you felt like you accomplished something? That's the first question. And then there's follow-up. Follow-up is, what was the thing? Why was it so significant to you? And why was it important? Sorrow, troubles to rise on the 